As I've traveled the world and had these opportunities to meet and work alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is, how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the culture that motivate and drive me? This podcast is dedicated to those questions. We can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning. My name is David Vanderveen. Welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Here we are on the Kick Aspirational Podcast. We've got Jason Thardik. He's uh, he's famous for being on The Bachelorette. He's uh, he's also famous for his own podcast, uh, Trading Secrets. He has a new book out called Restart Roadmap that I just bought an advanced copy of, uh, hardcover, being delivered to Paris. You can buy it anywhere in the world. Um, Jason, welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Thanks for joining. And uh, I'm excited about this interview because I think it really nails a lot of the things we talk about here about how you transform your life. Um, maybe just introduce us to, to your journey a little bit. You had a big, big shift from being in a corporate career to moving into entertainment. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me and thank you for buying the, the pre-order. I really appreciate that. Uh, that means a lot. So yeah, it was a wild journey for me. And you know, I, 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 we talked a little bit before the podcast, but on my podcast, I've had some people on that have made it big off certain reality television shows. And we back into like the dollars they make today the dollars they made before in their plan. And they had this like very sculpted scripted plan of how they were going to get somewhere. So it wasn't the will, right? There was, there was going to be a way and they all made it happen for me. I fell into it. I, um, you know, I was a corporate banker, nine years, seven promotions, wow. four relocations, moved from New York to Seattle, Jeez. really lost my identity and lived my identity through the entire, uh, bank, right? Like what we were doing during hours, after hours, what my title was, the way I spoke everything. And I knew that there was just severe, severe dissatisfaction with what I was doing. And so it got to a point where I remember I was in Seattle, got home from work. It was after three months from moving there and just felt like I totally lost myself. Like everything I was doing was lived through the identity of my bank. And so, uh, ironically enough, it was that weekend. I got a call from an ABC casting director who got a video of me doing a bachelor gilda's auction where they recruited 30 people in the area back when i lived in new york and you you kind of go up and dance like a goofball but you raise money people get like all this stuff if they bid on you to go on a date but all the money goes towards the charity which is to support cancer research and families undergoing uh, um, any type of cancer treatment and so that video of me dancing like a goofball got sent to them eight months later i get the call I decided to take a wild detour against probably the approval of all of my colleagues, friends, family, but did it. And that had totally changed the trajectory of everything I do, where I live, who I'm engaged to, uh, et cetera. So it's been a wild, wild restart in a wild, wild uh, last five years or so. And do you feel like uh, this change in your direction has given you, you know, more deep joy or happiness? Absolutely. So for me, I had, I had a pretty calculated plan of how I was going to exit the bank and start writing my own story as opposed to having my story written for me. And so when I moved to Seattle, there was uh, you know, I was 29 at the time, 2017, uh, they gave me a six figure signing bonus, a really nice base salary and upside with um, bonus structure that you can more than double your base salary. And so I had done all the calculations. I'd paid off my un undergrad debt was paid off. My MBA was paid off. I was in a good financial position that if I could make it in Seattle two years and just 
meet expectations. I would be in a financial position where I owed the bank nothing. And I had the financial, um, uh, well, let's, let's call it like, um, sort you of know, freedom. rainy day fund yeah. to go really chase what I wanted out of life. And so, yeah, it has changed. I'm glad this detour happened and it wasn't the alternative, but it's changed everything. And every day I wake up so excited about what I do and the impacts we're making. And, uh, that's contagious. And not only is it contagious, but it bleeds into every form of my life. Like people that manage their life in silos, personally, financially, professionally, I think one way or another, they're going to read, realize they bleed into each other. Right. I'm a better partner when I'm happier. I'm better sure. financially when I'm happier. I'm a better professional when I'm more energized. So that's, uh, that's been the sum of it. And it's been a great, great, uh, great run here. And you're, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to read the books. It's not, it's not, uh, I don't think it's officially out yet, Yeah. but I read about the book <laughs> yeah. and it sounded like you'd start with kind of an assessment an evaluation of where you're at. And, um, if you're on the right path, you're on the wrong path. What are some of the questions that people need to ask themselves, um, to think through these, you know, to think through is, is, is the road they're on? Is it, for example, your career path, is it taking you where you want to go or is it just taking you someplace that somebody else is dictating to you? For sure. So in the book, actually the first, the first chapter, I start off with the Sunday scary. So I get pretty vulnerable with my story mm. where I saw massive cracks, but yet I was camouflaging my inner voice. I was doing everything I could to be perceived as successful, to check the boxes, to get ahead because I had, you know, student debt to pay for. And I had to be on the, on the, you know, this, this, this path to success in corporate America. And so I get real with it. I mean, there were some crazy things that I was doing. I was having some severe panic attacks and then I would go see a psychologist or psychiatrist and I'd get prescribed beta blockers and, and Xanax. I would carry beta blockers and Xanax with me in a little Listerine case, Listerine trip case in my pocket every day, just in case that onset okay. of panic did come. Cause I felt so lost with what I was doing like during I, your work day, during the work day. So I could camouflage it with wow. that. Should I need it? And just even having it made me feel a little bit more secure. I mean, the things I was doing to showcase comfort, confidence, and success, even while internally I was so dissatisfied was sad. And I don't think many people experience it to that level, but I think they do experience it to some form of level if they are unsatisfied within their track. And so this book, I get real and raw with you and I expect you to do the same. It's an eight step process that has uh, people, uh, if they're feeling any bit of career confusion, if they're rethinking anything in their professional lives, as minor as a relationship with their boss and colleagues or negotiating for their next steps within the company, or as material as completely leaving the industry and doing something completely different, no matter how small or big of a change you're looking for, this book is an eight step roadmap to do just that. And let's be real. Some of these conversations could be a little boring, right? When we're talking about an eight step process to change your professional life, it could be. So not only do I talk theory, but I talk practice and I talk a lot about specific examples from the end, you know, some of the conference rooms of the Forbes, most powerful people in banking and things I've learned from behind the scenes of some of your biggest shows you see out there. Sure. Uh, so from Hollywood to wall street, uh, all the way to main street and the way we see it in our couches, I tell stories that correlate to uh, checklist things that people could do. And, and I know you're a 
original question or questions that people can ask. And there's like a, every chapter will have a summary and a list of questions that people can ask themselves. But I think some off the top of my head is, you know, right now, if I, you know, if I doubled, if I doubled what you were making and I told you that you're still within the same company doing what you're doing in 10 years from now, how do you feel about that? You know, when we talk about the fact that people start working, you know, at, at 20 full time, actually, realistically, majority of people start working full time, 40 hours plus around 25 in the United States and retire at 62. So you get 37 years to make your legacy, to make your impact and your professional work right. on average. Are you doing just that every day? Are you proud of what you do? When you look back at your career and you think about the stuff you did. Was it where you wanted to be? And the biggest thing, and there's so many questions that are in this book, like this, sure. the biggest thing is, do you feel as though your path and story is being written for you? Or do you feel like you're writing your own story? Because I do feel like large corporate uh, really is set up to manage complacency to their advantage and write your story as opposed to you writing it for yourself. No, I think that's huge. On this podcast, we talk a lot about living deliberately, about creating the life you want. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about the you know simple Venn diagram of passion. You know, what are you passionate about? What do you what are you actually good at? And then how do you how do you earn a living? You know, are people trading value, whether it's you know currency or other things for what you're doing? Right. You you, you sort of talk about the downside of the wrong path. In your in your case, it was you know having physical ramifications. Um, but even just figuring out where you're going to end up, like, is this, a, in my opinion, people sort of need to have purpose, right? They need to have this, I think you call it ultimate fulfillment. Um, how do people get to this ultimate fulfillment? What are the, I think you, you use different terms. You say mind drive passion. What's that, what's that, that sort of that, that uh, program look like? Yeah. So I think you have to do like a third degree priority probe with like on yourself. Like if you think about like as much as like we always watch these shows, right, where these interrogators think they might have a suspect and they drill them down every single angle. And I mean, they're working these people. And I think like what literally a criminal investigator is doing to a suspect, you have to do with yourself. You got to get real. You got to get raw with yourself. You got to understand and rewire where you are today and why you are there. You'll think about what is what set you up in this direction. We have at the age 18 in the United States at the same year, we have to ask to have a hall pass to go to the bathroom, ask permission to go take a pee in class. And in the same year, we have to go make a decision that will forever change the foundation of our life. If we're going to school and if we're going to school, where we're going to school and what debt we're going to take out and what our major is going to be. Right. And these are critical things that can lead you down a path that maybe uh, isn't fulfilling to you. I do think some of the big areas of people have to look back at and identify what, where they feel like they're stuck in their career. I think it comes down to uh, potentially mobility. Like, do you feel as though you have mobility in your career path? Do you feel like your company is, is pushing you in the direction that you want to be in five, three, two years from now, are you going to be there because of subjective bureaucracy or objective performance? So if you're not having mobility, I think people need to change. I think another reason people change is compensation. That's why they might not be having fulfillment. I think that's the easiest challenge to fix. Sure. Feel as though you're compensated enough. It's the easiest one. Uh, two that I agree with you with our skill set and passion. If you are in a job where in your job description day to day, you aren't doing something where you have a natural gift, a natural skill set, 
that is an issue. And that is something you'll have to inevitably change. We are all born with certain skill sets and then we all develop these skill sets. And when you walk into a room and people feel imposter syndrome, the easy way to overcome that is to understand what differentiates you. Maybe it's just the fact you can make people smile. Maybe it's that you're witty. Maybe that's you're organized. Who knows what it is, but figure out what those skill sets are and make sure that your job incorporate them. Passion that goes, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys talk about it a lot. I don't even have to address it. Do you have passion aligned with what you do and how you do it? And the last one's fear. So I think these are the five things that you have to identify. What is it within your career that is really the biggest challenge and then put solutions in place. And fear is, you know, the fear of what's next. Can I do it? Can I afford to take the next step? And the biggest thing is complacency. If you are okay with okay complacency and fully fulfilled, great. <laughs> At least you know that. But if you're not companies and corporations and, and honestly, higher leadership thrive off complacency. Don't right. let the fear of change keep you complacent and keep you stagnant. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, no, in this case, know your audience, right? I think you and I, um, you know, have, have worked hard to and taken risks and made mistakes to get to places where we're feeling fulfilled and doing things we, that we want to be doing. Um, you know, some people say that's luck, but you know, you sort of make your luck and part of it is at least for me. And it sounds like for you, you have to try some things. You have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to, to take some risks. Um, one of the things that you talked about, I think this is kind of interesting is, and maybe we could kind of shift a little bit into, you know, trading secrets where you help people kind of navigate finances and, and investing. Um, you, know, you talked about the fact that you had, you were senior vice president, you had paid down your debt, you had gotten debt free so that you could actually take some risks. Cause you know, you look at you know, like my dad was a doctor, you know, my brother-in-law was a doctor. I mean, by the time you're coming out of medical school, especially with a specialty, especially with a specialty, but you know, the, um, you're just I mean, so many doctors today, especially are, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. They're not making the same money that they used to. They feel stuck. Even if they want to do something else, they don't feel like there's a way out. Um, do you feel that there are ways in kind of regardless of where you are, you can find ways out if you're just living a life that you feel is a dead end or it's not taking you where you want to go? Oh my God. I think you can absolutely find ways out. There's, there's always an out. There's always an option. W one thing I want to make sure I address before I forget it is you talked about this idea um, of failing, right? Like, you know, you've had to make changes, had to make adjustments. Um, two interviews that I had on the podcast trading secrets that I'll forever remember. One was with Mark Laurie and one was with uh, a rod, Alex Rodriguez. The, yeah. So Mark Laurie, former CEO of Walmart um, uh, e-commerce, and now he's a multi-billionaire owns, the Minnesota Timberwolves and he owns the Timberwolves with a rod. Uh, if we're talking international here, New York Yankee guy, uh, New York Yankees, one of the best baseball players to ever live. And together they both own the Minnesota Timberwolves and the biggest takeaway in both of their conversations was that they live life in the sixth gear, both of them. So I'll give you two examples. Mark Laurie, when he had his first business, he put in $374,000 of capital. He injected it. And then he went to investors to get investors to back. And by the way, he exited at massive, massive multiples. But the investors are saying, all right, we're in, we're sold. We, we like the plan. He raised all of his funds. The one question he got though is why 374,000? And he said, that's literally all I have to my name. 
I don't have any more money. He's all in. And, and that is how he lives his life at full speed, all in sixth degree. And he doesn't give him himself options to fail. And his options to fail when he does fail have to be quick learning curves to get back up and keep going because there right. are no outs. A-Rod said the same thing. I live my life full speed in everything I do. Social media, the businesses I own, my athletics, my training, pop culture, nonsense, social media, interviews. Like I'm sitting here with you. I'm going to fall on my face. I'm going to do things that are screwed up. But if I can, if you think about it, if you're living your life like that in the sixth gear, and I know it's not for everyone, but if you do, the amount of lessons that you will acquire from falling on your face and making mistakes in like a five or 10, 15 year period is going to be the amount of lessons that someone in the first or second gear would probably learn over the course of three or four lifetimes. Exactly. So if you can learn, adjust, get more information, you'll be in good shape. And I think for some of these people that are, are already down the path of, of dealing with severe debt and they're, they're lost, there are so many ways out. And the way, the biggest thing to do is not do what you did before. Right. So if you got stuck down the path to be a doctor and you now have $300,000 of debt, be honest with me. Did you get stuck being a doctor because your mom was a doctor, your dad was a doctor? Because maybe someone suggested that's the road to success, even though in your head that wasn't what was going to do it for you? Likely. And if that's the case, when you're adjusting and looking at your next options, don't do that. <laughs> Shift gears. It's right. Do something else. Understand yeah. how you can get a return. Understand the financial success. Understand the personal satisfaction and growth if you your input is you know greater than your peers, what you can get out of it. So I think it's uh, learning, adjusting, and doing things differently differently than I think system and society sets us up to do from the day we're born. No, I think that's, that's phenomenal advice. The, uh, you know, it, like you said, the, the system is designed to take place to, to take advantage of complacency. The system is designed to tell you what you're worth. The system is designed to, to put you in a box and put you in a, in a direction. And it's based on, you know, I think, I think we probably both agree on this kind of an outdated mode of, of human development that was based on kind of a mass pro, you know, let's put somebody in a uniform, let's put them in a school, let's put them into the workforce, let's let's put these cogs in a machine. And I think what you know, Hannah Arendt, a famous philosopher, a lot of a lot of people have talked about this, but it's you know, feeling like you're a cog in machine leads to really awful societal ills. And and so I think this is this is an important, important element of how people can work their way out of that and feel like they actually have a purpose and meaning, you know, not just making you know millions of dollars, but also just feel like their life is actually worth living and like what they, they have a voice in the world. Um, so when, when you're talking about, you know, um, getting out of debt, investing, I know that like on your last podcast, um, you talked about how to use a credit card uh, and you had the, the points guy on to talk about which credit cards to use, how to use them. Um, when you're helping people think through this, do you start, I mean, I guess some of what I've seen is a lot of people going to school, going through this process that we've all been put in, come out of high school, even out of university, not knowing how to do a budget, not knowing how to manage debt, not knowing how, how to invest. What's what's your framework for helping people think through that? Because you come out of the finance industry. How do you help the average person think about, you know, getting your, your house in order financially so that you can take some risks and then how, how to invest and, and do some of those things? Yeah, I, it's so funny you said that because one of the, the newsletters like we that I have out coming every Monday is all about like the shit they didn't teach us in the <laughs> the shit you need to know that they didn't teach us because it's right. unbelievable to me how many people uh, of the, the mass population just unaware of the critical things that you should at least have an idea about. I want to tell one quick story. I pulled in the one when, when 
COVID was happening and S and P took a complete smash, which here we are again, full speed, full yeah. circle. But this, is it, so these are the equities, the equities markets took it, which is all the stocks when people buy stocks in, in companies, right? I mean, yeah. So the in index, companies. right? So the S and P 500, you have, uh, the 500 largest U S uh, market caps in, in indice, right. Is like, that will, that'll, uh, that it's S and P 500. And it's a very, for those people that are domestic in the States, every headline talked about the S and P 500, right. uh, during this crash. I mean, literally you could go to any media site and the first thing was S and P 500 crash, crash. So it's, it's, we hear it, we know what it is. No one knows what it means. So I pulled my audience. I said, be honest with me, be real with me. Don't lie with me right now. I put you on the spot. Can you describe what the S and P 500 is? Over 250,000 people responded. 91% of them said they couldn't do it. Right. Couldn't do it. And so I think that is a big thing that, um, you know, aligns with, I think it's David Allen, which is getting things done. He has a great book and he talks about, you, you need small goals. You need small wins right. to get to the next step, to get to the next, uh, to the get to build momentum. And so I think that's where we need to start with people and their finances is stop talking, you know, especially when people really don't know, excuse my language, they're asked from their head with some of this stuff. Right. I mean, why are we talking, like with some of these people, they're like, should I invest in crypto? And I'll just be like, <laughs> tell me what your capital, your debt capital, your debt structure looks like. Do you have credit card debt? Yeah, yeah, I have like $3,000, $4,000 rolling. Stop talking about crypto right now. Exactly. Okay? Let's get back to the basics. And so I think that's the, the, the three places that I always start with people. One-on-one. So that's a good, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go I was ahead. just say the big three things that I start one-on-one are what are you doing every day to negotiate for your top line and the things that you are spending money on? Because 63% of people, and I talk about this in my book in a chapter called let's get you paid. 63% of people don't negotiate for themselves once within their entire career. I can't believe it. So they just take what the company offers. Right, right. So to negotiate for what you pay for and negotiate what you earn. The second thing is uh, behavioral based budgeting. I'm like really big on understanding yourself. Go take two credit card statements and look at your expenses and you're going to learn a lot about yourself. Why are you spending all that money at the, you know, at Louis Vuitton or why are you spending all the money at the bar? Why are you is there more of like a deeper insecurity? Is there something we need to address with your spending habits, right. behavioral based budgeting? And the third one is simply just understanding your debt and paying down your high interest rates. So debt management, budgeting, negotiating for what you pay and what you earn. Those are my three starting points. Oh, that's huge. You know, I, I have, we have a lot of new entrepreneurs working with us and, you know, people like to talk about crypto and NFTs because they think it's sexy and fun and they're looking at big gains quickly. Um, I think in, in your audience, I'm guessing is a younger audience, a newer investing audience, correct? Correct. So, uh, so the main demographics like 18 to 44, I would say. Right. And so when you're thinking about, you know, one, so I think we're on the same page here. Don't, don't carry debt, right. Or manage your debt so that it's very low interest debt and you're not, you're not paying credit card debt or other high interest debt. Um, do you have, when you think about investing, you, you, so people hopefully are getting out of debt, they're getting, living on a budget, they're putting some discipline on their finances. When they start thinking about investing, you know, equities had been very, very hot. They're not currently today mm -hmm. because of, you know, war in Ukraine and interest rates going up, et cetera. 
um, it was easy to be a rock star in investing, buying indices, you know, in equities or, you know, doing, you know, buying, buying tech stocks. Um, when people start to save enough money to start investing or, you know, saving effectively, what are kind of the rules or guidelines that you give them to think about, you know, for example, people talk about crypto, but how do you balance it? Runway, length of time, mindset, what's maybe mindset's a better question. What's sort of the mindset that people need to have, especially if they're younger and they've got hopefully a long life at them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we could do like a whole podcast <laughs> down, right? Like how people could build a portfolio and the different options and, and how to manage that. And, you know, uh, brokerages I love and brokerages I don't, I think if we're, we're keeping it a little higher level here. So where I'll start the, my starting point for everyone, especially once like you're an entrepreneur and you build some capital and you have some solid cash flow and you want to get that money to work is you have to understand that there is no cookie cutter approach here, right? We all are going to make investment decisions or should based on, you know, first of all, what we have interest in investing in and two, what our risk tolerance is, right? Yeah. Think about the, the way I break it down to someone who's really like, what is, what do you mean by that? It's like it, the basic thing is like, I'm sure at this point, everyone here has been to a casino. And if I go to a casino with five friends, I'll have one friend who's the wild man. He's going to go put two K on black right when we walk in and he wants to double his money. And I'll have the other friend that literally won't take one dime out of his pocket <laughs> sit next to the buddy that did the 2k bet he'll cheer him on and all he'll do is get his free drinks for eight hours straight so he knows that at least he's cash flow positive a hundred dollars <laughs> right. worth of drinks that is the definition of different risk tolerances and those two people are going to have completely different strategies for what we would want to like recommend and what we would think about based on how they're trying to uh, manage their portfolio the biggest thing i'll tell anyone though that's young and and this is guys this is like investing 101 and I apologize if this is too high level but time is the most precious commodity with investing we're seeing it now right inflation at seven and a half percent in the United States you know a dollar in 1970 is worth like nine dollars today that's 900 percent your money is losing value by the second so regardless if you're the guy that sits next to the blackjack player just getting free drinks or you're the blackjack player that goes all in on one hand the biggest thing is that you've got to get your money to work in some capacity because right now our dollars are getting crushed by the second. So you've right. got to find certain ways based on your risk tolerance to do things. And in what ways, I mean, we could, we could spend the rest of the time talking about what ways. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, we could talk. Yeah. I, I think the, the, um, the, one of the biggest things you said though, and I think especially for younger investors is look, if you buy a, let's say you bought an S and P 500 indices this last week and it took a huge dump. Yep. Um, you only take a loss if you sell it. Right. Sure. And if you, if you have a long runway and you can hang out for time, time will make you right. Uh, in, in general, um, obviously there's ways to balance your portfolio so that you have a mixture of commodities and, and other assets in there. But, um, a lot of people, you know, uh, we're talking about trading to pay bills and day trading and those, do you, do you advise, do you have a kind of a structure for how people need to think about, 
how they're earning money, their debt, how they start to invest and at what point they can become a, a you know, a full-time investor. Yeah, for sure. So, and one thing I think you, you brought up a good point, especially if people are really starting out early, like I don't trust advisors. I want to do it myself. Uh, one thing, and I know it's a very basic, basic, basic strategy, but just especially in a volatile market, if you don't know what you're doing, the whole idea of dollar cost averaging really, I do think is effective for beginners, right? So, and the idea for anyone that doesn't know about yeah, that. I was going to say, can you explain that? What a dollar yeah, cost so, averaging so you is? Pick, pick like, suppose we pick the first of the month. So at the first of the month, every single month at 12 o'clock, I'm going to buy Apple. Okay, guys, I'm just giving you an example. It doesn't mean go do this. But the idea is, is that on March 1st, suppose I have 12, 120K, right? What I'm going to do is on March 1st, I'm going to take 10% of my portfolio. 12K. And I am going to invest in Apple on March 1st at 12 o'clock, regardless of what the time is, because guess what? There are massive institutions and day traders and hedge funds that are working around the clock 24 seven with the biggest tools and resources out there. I'm not going to try and beat them by the second. So at 12 o'clock, March 1st, I'm buying 12K on April 1st at 12 o'clock. I'm buying another 12K. On May 1st at 12 o'clock, I'm buying another 12K. The idea here is that timing the market is practically impossible unless you're one of the top professionals. And even for them, it's, it's pretty challenging. And there's theories that it's impossible too. So it's you get different entry level points in a percentage of your portfolio that's good for your bankroll. So if you do that the first of every month, you now have 12 months, right, of different entry points based on this crazy volatility and therefore your average uh, your your average spend per share will be correlated somewhat to the volatility over the year instead of putting 120k today this second at 12 o'clock. That's the idea of dollar cost averaging. Well, that's a great that's a great uh I mean, I think that's just a simple strategy for a lot of people to start yeah. putting money into savings that will that they don't look at, they don't touch, and they let it carry for years so they get the compounding effect and the benefit of hopefully markets that continue to go up and to the right over time. And the um, thing too, yeah. David, I want to make sure I answer this, and it's yeah. so critical, is within your debt structure, when should you start investing? I don't want anyone, people that I advise, especially the younger generation, just because debt loads, I mean, we could go through consumer debt, credit card debt, all the School numbers debt, in the United yeah. States, the student debt. It's out of control. Uh, for me, there's good debt and there's bad debt. And so uh, the credit card debt, personal loans, it's not good debt. The interest rates are higher than inflation. They're going to bury you if you're rolling in over any type of um, uh, amount on a month to month basis. And so step one for me, we're not investing until all your high interest rate debt is gone, refinanced or restructured. How, how, how high is high interest for you? Where, where, where does high interest start? So where I stand today is like, and this is, this is being like pretty, pretty progressive with everything is I want, if there's interest that is over inflation right now, it's gotta be paid down. Now I know a lot of, um, different educators and advisors out there that would say over 3%, I want it out. I want to keep under inflation. So if you have interest rate right now, that is over seven and a half percent, stop worrying about investing. Let's take care of that. Pay that off. Take Cause you'll never beat that. Now. Yeah. Now, it's, it's so challenging to beat that. Now there's obviously there's people that do it, 
But you, if I can tell you right now, David, that you're going to get a guaranteed 8%, 7.5% return, and imagine credit card debt. That's right. at the 20, 25, 30% range. I tell you, you're going to get a 30% return if we just manage this properly. I'm sure I'll have your attention. Right. You are literally investing when you're paying that debt down because that's a 30% return you're getting taken care of. You're cutting your that's, costs. Yeah, that's exactly. step one. And then the second step, the big one is rainy day fund, right? I talked about it. Get your debt taken care of. Have a rainy day fund. So, God forbid the world turns upside down and there's a World War III. Uh, you have some cash on the sidelines before you're all in on the market. Those are the two very, very pertinent steps before I tell people to get uh, get very involved with the market. And what's your target for a rainy day fund? What's the what's the goal that you want to see people having in a liquid, some kind of a liquid account, I'm guessing that they can, you know, probably minimal, minimal risk and um, just a safe, safe haven. Yep. Minimal risk, cash ready, liquidated at any point. What I would say when someone asks me that I'll always turn around and say, okay, what's your monthly expenses fixed and variable? They'll look at me like they got five heads. They have no idea. It's like, well, these are, what goes out has to go out every month, right? Right. Like you, you can tell me your favorite soccer team and every statistic from each player. You could tell me your favorite football team and who won the Super Bowl the last 15 years. But I'm asking you literally what you're spending. The most, one of the most important assets in the world, the currency you earn, what you spend fixed and variable. And you look at me like, I got eight heads. And so where I'll start is like, let's sit down, let's go through your variable and monthly expenses over the last six months, because obviously there's fluctuation based on seasons and holidays, stuff like that. Let's divide that up by six. Let's find your monthly costs based on your monthly costs, variable and fixed. I want a minimum, a minimum, 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 minimum of three months in, in liquidity, minimum, bare minimum. Yeah. Bare minimum, three months of your average monthly variable and fixed costs sitting in liquidity, not touched, minimum. And what do you want to see if you could say like a healthy rainy day fund not to exceed or kind of a, a normal range that you'd like to see sitting there? That's a, that's a really good point uh, because, because then you're talking about opportunity cost of capital here, right? So if you have too much money sitting, like we talked about, you're literally burning it based on uh, inflation. So sure. I, I personally don't want to see any more that even if you are super, super conservative, I don't want to see any more than like 18 months of monthly expenses sitting in cash. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a lot sitting point, in cash. That's a yeah. lot sitting in cash. Now I know yeah. some people that are like, I, I need a year just so I could sleep at night. I would tell you if like you have to, you have to do a self-assessment to say like, what's your mental capacity. And if you're going to sleep better at night because you have 12 months to 18 months in cash, you know what the, the return on that to your body and mental health is greater than money will return you. So do that. But I would say if you're in that 12 to 18 month range or more than that in cash, it's time to get busy with it. It's time to get busy with it. No, that's yeah. Let's, let's get, let's get that working. And especially with, with, uh, you know, the, I mean, <laughs> Here's another question. So I guess if, you know, I noticed this when I was working in sort of career paths where, you know, you have the typical um, W-2 in, income, you know, so you're getting paid a paycheck and then you're putting money into 401ks. I sort of noticed that, you know, I could maximize 401k contributions or Roth contributions and really not notice a lot, of, not notice a big change in my take-home pay for savings. And often there were matching programs, which automatically gave me hundred percent, you know, hundred percent match of the minimum investment. Um, do you encourage people to maximize those types of opportunities? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so funny because we, a lot of our questions, we talk a little bit in generalities, but then we start getting specific. Uh, and when we talk about like a 401k and here is like a, a rule, a golden rule that I think is like critically important. 
even if you do have credit card debt, I want that paid off. But at the same token, if you have a if you have a dollar for dollar match up to six percent, you're instantly getting a hundred percent return on your money. Like, so you're in, so you maximize that. Look at Roth IRAs as an option too, especially if you're younger, right? The whole idea of that is that that you know your marginal uh, inter, um, tax rate is going to be lower today than it will when you're retired. So get taxed today, and then you can have monies later um, that will be taxed at a lower amount. So Roth is a great idea. Everyone should call their HR director or someone in HR today and ask their company what kind of discounted stock option plans they have. The bank I worked for, uh, I worked in a couple different companies, but the big bank I worked for, we had 10% discount. So instantly, when any time I would buy the stock, I automatically am getting a 10% return. That's a lift, yeah. And then another one people don't talk enough about are HSAs, so health savings accounts. Or, and obviously, this is different based on where you live, but. If you are in the United States, we do have something called uh, health savings accounts. If you have a high deductible health savings plan, you can contribute pre-tax dollars to that. So you're reducing your taxable income. And on top of that, you can actually invest the money. I was going to say, you can earn, in, you can earn interest yeah. on that. Yeah, It works as a retirement account. And then also for any health expenses you have that are, you know, look at the finite detail, but related essentially to like a prescription or health cost, you're paying with pre-tax dollars. So there's a triple tax advantage with HSA accounts. Uh, and that's another one that people should be utilizing on a, on a day-to-day basis. It blows my mind that people don't talk about HSAs more. And, and this may be a little boring for some people, but I think it's it's one of the most powerful savings tools that exists out there. Um, you know, you, it depends on your tax status, but you know, most people are paying at least 20, 30 percent in taxes. And if you're if you're taking those pre-tax dollars out, you've you just got to lift. If you're capturing that interest pre-tax, that's another big lift. And then if you're spending the dollars pre-tax, like you said, it's, it's, it's a triple, triple benefit and it's a great way to start saving income. Um, I guess the, uh, here's getting into some of the, the sexier questions that are on the top of top of the conversations, especially for younger people right now, you know, we've got a lot of crypto and NFT mm-hmm. conversations going on. Um, Bitcoin, obviously the, the, the 800 pound gorilla. Um, h- how do you view, uh, crypto and NFTs? I know they're different kind of both tokens, but different. Um, how do you view them? At what point should people think about them or not think about them? And, and what's a strategy for, for that, for those types of markets. Yeah. So this is the sexy part. You got to love it. Uh, do not proceed unless you've taken care of all the basics <laughs> already discussed, go do your homework there and then come back to this part. Uh, but once you have taken care of the 401k, the Roth, the HSA, all your debt, your budgeting behaviors, negotiating for yourself, let's talk about some sexy investing with high volatility and high returns. Um, so, uh, crypto, I, I personally am pretty bullish on it. Uh, the volatility of crypto, especially the, the big coins, right? Ethereum and Bitcoin, uh, Solana, it's crazy. All over. I mean, the swings are like nothing I've seen before. And so one of the big things as an investor, like the day traders, like if I talk to some of the best day traders out there, they'll tell you that while their technical analysis is sharp, what's what's the most important input for day trading is emotional uh, balance. Because, you know, when you lose 20K in one one hit or 100K or even higher dollars, you you know, it's like gambling. It's like you have that you have that 
tendency. I got to go get more. I got to go get more. I got to go get more. And then you get broke or you're like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Emotional balance with these things are huge. So crypto is, uh, is I'm bullish on it. I have about 11% of my portfolio tied to crypto. Um, I have interviewed Anthony Pompliano. Sure. Who is the, he's a big Bitcoin guy. He's got 96% of Whoa. his, uh, of his portfolio tied and his whole net worth, 96% tied to Bitcoin only. He's a great follow on Twitter. If you don't follow him. So can, can, can you give us his name one more time? Anthony Pompliano, P-O-M-P is his Twitter account. And I would encourage anyone that's interested, go to your, wherever you find podcasts, type in Trading Secrets, Anthony Pompliano. It is a great one-on-one podcast for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency backed by someone who literally has 96% of a lot of money tied to it. So I'm bullish on it. I'm 11% into it, but I think you have to realize there's massive swings and you have to, um, you know, just understand that altcoins i'm very weary of um you know some of the smaller ones you know the like little very speculative yeah, yeah yeah they're speculative there's a lot of pump and dumps there's a lot of quick movements and exits i won't touch much of them and if i do i'm putting a very very small amount in nfts i think with nfts the big thing is utility right now when you're seeing an nft that is going to be um uh, backed by something more than just the art, there is some big movement there. And I think this will forever change anything that's membership based. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Did you see the, did you see Gary V's restaurant in the success? Yeah. 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 Where he's so, selling memberships via an NFT, which is basically a contract that's been tokenized. Right. That's exactly it. It's a contract tokenized. The NFT doesn't mean shit. I mean, like who cares what it looks like, right. but essentially you're getting a membership to this restaurant. Right. They'll think about it. Restaurants. So I used to work in banking and underwriting. They were the hardest industry to ever get a deal for because of um, liquidity is tough and turnover and success rate. He now has used NFTs so that people will get a membership to this restaurant. The restaurant hasn't even freaking opened. It doesn't open right. to 2023. And based on resale, uh, reselling it in the royalties and high demand that's been created based on marketing for this restaurant, they already have like 13 or $14 million in liquidity for a right. freaking restaurant. Like this is a game changer. Think about a country club membership. Right. People out there, country, you spend all this money, $100,000, $200,000 initiation, your monthly fees, da, 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 da. You say, I'm done. You're done. You don't see a penny of it. Imagine if you could tokenize a contract with uh, a country club where you can resell it. You actually have equity. You'll get paid every time that membership resells. And so does the country club, a percentage like that will change forever. The last thing I want to say about NFTs is if you ever invest in a project, if you ever invest in a project and you don't know who those creators are and you don't know their story and their success rate and what they've done in their resume, stop. Right. That is a big thing right now. There's been a ton of marketing schemes, a ton of pump and dumps and the credibility of the creator has never been more important than an NFT project. Um, so there's like, so if I invest in an NFT, pro I've been on the marketing side and I've been on the investing side. If I invest in an NFT project, um, I will know everything about right. the owner. So those are my two takes and two strategies and uh, two thoughts on crypto and NFT. No, I think that's huge. I think, you know, NFTs, alt currencies, kind of a lot of similarities. And I think to your point, like you don't know what the reserves are, who's holding those, how they're going to sell it. You don't, I mean, just to, you're basically getting into a contract with somebody. So if you don't know the person in their business case and how they're being, how they're managing it, you're basically investing in an equity without knowing anything about the, about the business or the person and where, where you're headed. Yeah. Um, and the biggest difference though, is like the market 
control, right? So when you have like you're investing in these, like if you were investing in an equity, right. obviously there's a lot. There's government oversight. Yeah. yeah, there's government oversight. There's regulation. There's a lot of this momentum that's built on peer pressure and discords. Right. I mean, if someone goes to sell at like a lower rate, the, the swarm of bees will go find the person and be like, why would you put the floor lower? It's a different type of animal, but it, there are crossover, but there's also some, some drastic differences. Too. Yeah, that's the wild west. My younger, I have two sons, one's 27, one's 24. My younger son works in the art world um, in, in Paris, but he, we were, we were just talking about, you know, this the cool thing about it is if you're an artist or if you are, for example, a membership you talked about um, and you actually have a following and you have real art, uh, you know, or like I was talking with a jewelry designer in Paris last weekend. Um, you know, this is a way that you can actually capture the appreciating value of something you would, you would lose. I mean, Picasso had to paint his whole life because the paintings he sold in his twenties were gone. The, the day he sold them, you'd never see another penny out of those yeah. versus, you know, if he sold an NFT on that, as those appreciate, he, he could capture that appreciating value. I think it's, there's a lot of value there, but it's a, it's a, it's a very, uh, you got to know what you're getting into. Cause it is, it yeah. is, is the wild west. Yeah. It's crazy when you're seeing like some, I, I love the idea of what you said though, like how artists it's changing the game of the appreciating value, but it, it also artists, like you said, jewelers, um, designers, like handbags and stuff. The, the NFTs are selling more than the handbags now. And another cool one is watches too. Yeah. Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, the, the, um, musicians, musicians, like, yes, guys, we see the big musicians making money, but the grinders out there, it's a tough lifestyle financially. Right. And to think that they can actually, uh, people can have ownership in songs now. And it's a way for artists to be able to like sustain their career and their creativity and stuff like that. So it's, it's doing cool things with the good comes bad, but there's a lot of cool things going on with NFTs too. Major innovation, definitely worth watching yeah. and definitely worth being careful about. I know we're running low on time. Um, you are engaged to Caitlin Bristow, who's also uh, part of the Bachelor Nation. Is that right? Yeah. So, Caitlin, uh, when I got off the show, I came in third, went back to work. Caitlin has a big podcast called off the vine and she was traveling to Seattle to interview people. And she interviewed me to say, uh, you know, really see what's next. You know, you, you, you missed the show. What can we expect you on paradise? You're going to go on more shows. And ironically enough, I was telling David before the interview started, what was next was actually right in front of me as Caitlin. So little did I know we met each other, we hit it off. We became good friends. Our friendship turned to a relationship, started dating January of 19. It's been uh, over three years now. We're happily engaged. We live in Nashville with two rescue pups. We're planning a wedding and Caitlin was a former bachelorette and she is uh, the co-host right now of the bachelorette. And she also just won dancing with the stars in 20, 2020, two seasons ago. So she's a rock star herself. Quite a career. And she's an entrepreneur as well. She owns a wine label and a hair accessory label. So it's, uh, it's a really fun, um, really fun partnership. Sounds like an amazing match. Um, yeah. Are you, did I get this correctly? Uh, some background research. I heard that you're a Bills fan. Is that correct? In the NFL? Huge Bills, born and raised in Buffalo. I die Buffalo Bills. Bills Mafia. Yes. So if that's true, why were you wearing Packers hats? Uh, oh, Packers explain this. <laughs> this is an explanation. Is, is it just because everyone loves the Packers? It was because I told, and this is the kind of person Caitlin is. We're sitting watching the game and the Packers are playing and I told Caitlin 
it is my dream to go watch the Green Bay Packers play live. Like the history in that city, in that team, in that franchise, in Lambeau Field, and it's got it's on my bucket list. Right. And so for my uh, for my birthday, she surprised me, and all of a sudden she puts this video up, and there's all these Green Bay Packers. Jason, we know you're a Bills fan, but we can't wait to check this off your bucket list. The mayor of Green Bay was on the damn video. He's oh, like, wow. you know, Jason, welcome. And we went to Green Bay, and I felt as though they weren't playing the Bills. I'm going to support this team. They're now my second team. It was one of the best experiences in my life. If you've never been to Lambeau and you're an NFL fan, go check it out. I'm a, I'm a huge Packers fan. I'm good friends with Aaron Rodgers. Um, I was, the I'm, I think, the first investor in RX3, the fund that he started with Byron Roth and wow, Nate Robbie. Wow, so cool. In fact, uh, yeah, I'm here in Miami meeting with Byron and, uh, if you know, Roth Capital. And then uh, yeah. we're at the Roth Conference, the RX3 and Roth Conference this coming weekend. Wait a second. I'm telling you, this is crazy. This is the, how the internet, like, literally listens yeah. to us. I just got a notification. Breaking news. Literally, this second, Aaron Rodgers has decided to stay in Green Bay. <laughs> I think, no, it's see, magic happens. The um, I think he's getting a map. I mean, this is I'm he doesn't disclose these kinds of details, yeah. and I wouldn't disclose it for him if I did. But I think he's getting one of the most unusual contracts in the history of the NFL. I think it's a five year contract, massive five year contract that he can opt out of wow. for someone who's in his late 30s is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Does it have the details record. in there? And so I saw, yeah, Roger signed his then record of $134 million extension in August 2018. So I'm sure this will be a big one. Wow. Big news. Big news. Yeah. Well, if you can start with $134 million, you, you know, it solves a lot of these financial issues we've been talking about. Yeah. <laughs> You're not kidding. It's monopoly dollars, right? Yeah. No, he had a long road to get there and he deserves every, every ounce of success he's had. He's, he's working hard. Yeah. You know, I, I know we're out of time. Thank you so much for making this podcast. Podcast. Uh, sorry for my failure at the beginning with the recording, Jason, but thanks for being here and thanks for being a part of Kick Aspirational. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Let me know when it comes out. And it was a pleasure talking to you, David. Thank you for joining another episode of the Kick Aspirational Podcast. You know, the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport. What I'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions. What does your life look like? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the barriers that you're trying to break through? Because at the end of the day, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own. I'd love to hear what you're working on. I'd love to join you in your battles. And most importantly, whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be Kick Aspirational. Kick Aspirational.